of that emotion, all of the good vibes from a very well done memorial service for Lavelle Davis Jr., Devin Chandler, and Deshaun Perry. Um, and then Virginia coming out flat but rallying from a 14-0 early fourth quarter, first quarter deficit to take a 35-24 lead in the fourth quarter, but inclement weather stopping the game. And then afterwards, and I am sure there are Virginia fans out there going, oh my God, I knew this was going to happen. They give up two touchdowns, two missed two-point conversions. The second miss, by the way, that it looked like if you get the fingers on the ball the correct way, you might actually intercept it and take it back and go from a 6-35 deficit to 37-36 lead. Just the pain from a sports perspective, obviously this is relative here, from a sports perspective had that, oh, here we go again feel for the Virginia Cavaliers. So to help us dissect that and kick things off on covering the Commonwealth, it is Jerry Ratcliffe to start off covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. Hootie, you hate saying it because it almost sounds cruel and mean, but the way that game Saturday unfolded, is that not another one of those, oh, it encapsulates the Virginia football fan experience from the resolve they showed, the potential actually, offensively, that had been lacking for so long, but yet the defense lets them down in the fourth quarter at a couple of different junctures, and ultimately they cannot hold a lead in a very emotional day in Scott Stadium. Well, you're right, Ed. I think a lot of people probably had that in mind when the storm came and we had the hour-long delay, and I even had a couple of people in the press box said, uh, We've seen this story before that, you know, all of momentum is in Virginia's favor and then something happens to interrupt it and things go completely sideways. And I thought that was a very disappointing aspect of the whole day and the fact that Virginia did have that momentum going and a big lead and was doing everything well. And it's not like the same teams emerged from the locker room after the delay. JMU obviously made some very strong adjustments that inspired their team and and, uh, and they found ways to exploit Virginia's defense after the storm. And Virginia looked like that they had made no adjustments of any kind. So uh, you got to salute the JMU people for doing what it took to win. And uh, I think the way Virginia responded leaves a lot of, left a lot of question marks in their fans' heads. How ironic is it that defense is what has carried Virginia while the offense has struggled, and yet you come out of the JMU game, Jerry, and it almost feels like it's the other way around. The defense couldn't get stops for much of the day, including when necessary, and while the yards were even, you feel like Virginia might actually have something with Anthony Calandria at quarterback in the way not only he performed, but it seemed like he inspired confidence and elevated the play of some mediocre offensive linemen and uh, some wide receivers and running backs that are talented, but it maybe not lived up to their full potential. Yeah, I thought the kid, and I, you know, I was one of the people who was very skeptical of him coming into the season, but I thought the kid was played his butt off. He, he really impressed me. I mean, he crushed the most yards passing by a freshman in Virginia history by over 100 yards, and uh, was full of confidence and uh, 
and, and made a, a lot of great plays. Uh, you know, he cut, made some freshman mistakes, but overall, he was incredibly impressive and, and played well enough for the team to win. The, you're right, the, the defense was the very disappointing aspect of the whole thing because that's what they had counted on with eight returning starters from last year, some other guys with starting experience. And you know, JMU ran all over them after the storm. They took the ball and drove drove it down their throats twice in a row to win the game. And it was like Virginia didn't respond defensively at all. And when we asked John Rudzinski, the defensive coordinator, after the game, you know, what was different in the JMU offense after the break, and he just dodged the question. He wouldn't answer the question. And so um, something, you know, this Virginia team was on thin ice to begin with and relying heavily on the defense. And if the defense can't respond any better than that, I don't know if they have any hopes or not. That's a very good point. Is you know, all of a sudden when people wondered if Tony Elliott knew what he was doing offensively, now it looks like he might have a grasp, especially with the quarterback position. But the defense is very questionable. And now you've got a quick turnaround, a Friday night game against Maryland. And I'll be honest, Tootie, it opened up Maryland as a 17 and a half point favorite, which seemed rich to a, maybe an extent. But I could see that. And it fell all the way down to 14. Maryland's only favored by two touchdowns. Am I the only one who thinks this is the real challenge for Virginia now when you've got a quick turnaround? All of the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows emotionally from Saturday are gone and you go to either a hostile road atmosphere or maybe a flat atmosphere in an apathetic college park and you have to get yourself back up off the mat to avoid an 0-3 start. Yeah, well, it really doesn't depend on what the atmosphere is going to be like up there. You still got to play football and that's what everybody's wondering about. You know, can these guys perform? Um, you know, it looks like if Tony Musk gets healthy, they're going to go back to him to start, and I'm sure he'll be on a short leash, I would think, considering that they now have confidence in Calandria as a backup. But, you know, uh, there's no quick fixes for that defense. I mean, they what they did or didn't do Saturday was they just got dominated on the line of scrimmage and tackled poorly and were beaten on uh, some pass plays that they shouldn't have been beaten on. And that's just basic fundamental football, which I thought was the strength of this defense and something that Coach Rudd emphasizes on a daily basis. But if you can't do just the basics, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, especially in a road game. It is a really good question about how Virginia responds from here. The answer will come this Friday, but the insight will be there the entire way at jerryratcliffe.com and on the Jerry Ratcliffe Show podcast. By the way, Jerry, thank you for your time today and a big congratulations on your interview with Mr. Flo. That was a really good interview from uh, from this past weekend. Uh, thank you, Ed, and I encourage all Virginia fans to listen to it. It shows you that uh, the people that can't make it or don't make it into the NFL still have a, a chance to do something special with their lives if you got a, uh, if you use your time wisely as a Virginia student. It does indeed. Jerry Ratcliffe with us here in the Fast Lane. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokey, hokey, hokey high. David Cunningham, techsideline.com with us in the Fast Lane. David, from start to finish... 
How long were you at the stadium on Saturday in Blacksburg? <laughs> That's a great question, Ed. Uh, I got there about 9 a.m. and left at 1.30 in the morning. Uh, so much for a noon kickoff, am I right? Yes, that is correct. That was a long day for you. I can only imagine. Um, but for Virginia Tech, it has to have felt longer um, overall from the logistics around the stadium. And you've got a great article up at techsideline.com on how that element with the, of the weather delay was handled. To the Virginia Tech football team themselves and uh, taking a 7-0 deficit and coming out and it becomes a 17-0 deficit before they rally, tie up, and ultimately lose 24-17 to Purdue. How would you assess the way that everybody in Blacksburg handled the weather delay of six-plus hours this past Saturday? You know, Ed, I thought it was handled mm, about as good as it could have been. I, I would say especially by the grounds crew. I thought the grounds crew did a fantastic job. One of the, Some of the numbers I didn't even had a, have a chance to include in my story, um, it, 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 I, I got some numbers from Kevin Myatt, a local weather guy in the area. Um, he tweeted them out the other day. And I, I, I think it's really interesting. Some of these games in the past for Virginia Tech, you look at the Georgia Tech 2000 Lee Corso lightning strikes his car game. There was less than two inches of rain on the field that day, but the Hokies couldn't play that game because the field didn't drain well enough. There was almost four and a half inches on the field on Saturday, and it drained so well that the Hokies got to go play three more quarters. So shout out to the grounds crew, shout out to the turf Um or the grass and the, and the drainage. I thought it was handled as, as well as it could have. Um, you know, maybe a little bit better communication, maybe keeping the concession stands open for fans a little bit more. But overall, um, I, I think it's just one of those environments is just really, really tough. Uh, it, it's not a common situation. You don't get stuck in weather delays like that very often. And the fact that the Hokies... You know, we're able to come out and score 17 unanswered points after the break. Yes, I know they didn't win, and yes, they looked really, really sluggish after halftime. But, man, for a while there, it looked like they were playing pretty well. And, um, you know, I, I think credit goes to everybody who, who kind of was able to put that show on still after what was, you know, the longest delay in college football history. I mean, some of these, some of these games – Around the country, you know, they experienced maybe an hour-long delay, 90 minutes. I know Virginia had one. Tennessee had one. The Okies were delayed for five and a half hours. That's a, a bit extreme and uh, all, all things considered very out of the ordinary, but I think it was handled pretty well by everybody. David Cunningham, TechSideline.com, with us in the fast lane. The offense, that's the other elephant in the room on this team. Are we at the point where we just say it's not working with Tyler Bowen? Or are we at the point where they've got to give Kyron Drones a shot? Because, yes, Grant Wells may give them more passing under ideal circumstances. But as long as the offensive line plays as badly as they do and can't run block and uh, struggles at spots to pass protect as well, then you need somebody that can just be mobile enough, if not to run, then to at least create something. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, and I think... I think Grant Wells and we at Tech Sideline, we've heard that Grant Wells, um, he got a little bit banged up during the game. We don't know if he's healthy. Uh, he might not be healthy enough to play on Saturday. If if not, that would obviously force a certain decision from Brent Pry and the coaching staff. But I, I think 
I'm 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 slow to call for Tyler Bowen just yet, but I do think there's a lot more pressure on him. And I do think he needs to do some stuff better. I do think a lot of it's on the offense, and I do think Kyron Jones needs to play. I think it's a combination of everything. The offensive line has not been good. I think you can't run the ball. I mean, Virginia Tech had 11 rushing yards total last week. That's bad. That's beyond bad. Give Kyron Jones a shot. Uh, I think Tech did a disservice to Kyron Jones by not letting him play until that final drive of the game where Brett Wells was banged up so much he couldn't go back in. Give Kyron Jones a shot. See if it adds anything in the run game. But I think Tyler Bowen and his staff need to do a better job of scheming things up. Run a little bit in this direction. Give Kyron Jones easy throws. Smoke and mirrors, if you will. I think the blame is on everybody. I think everybody could do a little bit better. I think the offensive line, obviously, is a big problem. It's not just one thing I put my finger on. But, man, this Rutgers defense... Like we said, has not necessarily played a lot of people, but the numbers are pretty, pretty good. If I'm Virginia Tech, this is going to be a potentially long Saturday, maybe not as long as a weather delay Saturday, um, but it's not going to be a fun one potentially in Piscataway if Virginia Tech can't run the ball and doesn't figure anything out. So there's a lot riding on this game uh, on Saturday in New Jersey. I'm very interested to see how it plays out. Thankfully for Virginia Tech, they have a quarry nearby because they'll need to bring plenty of rocks to this fight. Sicko game of the week. Let's go. Yes. Well, we'll be making our projections Friday in our votes of confidence. David Cunningham and his TechSideline.com colleagues, TechSideline.com colleagues, will have their projections out a day or so early. David, thank you for your time today in the Fastlane. We look forward to that and all of your great work. Yeah, I appreciate it, Ed. I'll talk to you after... uh make a hopefully weather-free trip to New Jersey next week. Fingers crossed for your sake and uh, plenty of others as well. Now to the Liberty Flames. With John Manson from aseaofred.com. John, it was 23-17 to at halftime. And while Liberty did not officially win the game with a nine-minute plus drive in the third quarter, they clearly established dominance and control. How much do you give the coaching staff and the offensive personnel credit for understanding that the defense was kind of shaky at times, but one way to prevent your defense from getting eaten alive is to just keep them off the field? Talked about uh, sitting next to each other up in the press box Saturday night. It was uh, a very dominant uh, performance, particularly on the time of possession battle in that third quarter for Liberty. And, and uh, yeah, that's certainly one way that you can uh, – make a defense look good is by having them sitting on the sidelines and not have to worry about giving up uh, big plays. And and that's something that, you know, I think Liberty, we've talked about it before, but I think Liberty's just going to have to fight through, especially early in the season as they figure out uh, who they are and what they have on that side of the ball with only two starters returning. And, and one of those is Kendy Charles, who has missed the first two games and, and is uh, week to week right now to, to get back in the lineup uh, from an injury. Um, but, you know, the, you know, they, they did what they had to do in the second half. And they really did that by having the, uh, the offense on the field and, and uh, Liberty is now through just the, just two games, I know, but uh, tied for six in the country in rushing yards per game. And that's something we talked about back in the training camp is uh, while, while it may be a lot of new faces, new names in that running back room, uh, that, that group has a, has a chance to be very special. And, and uh, we, we got a glimpse of that with Quentin Cooley and, and Billy Lucas both rushing over 90 yards in the game on Saturday. And, and week one, it was a true freshman, Von Blue, that – it kind of made his name uh, known, as well as uh, the, the quarterback, Caden Salter, with his legs, too. So they got a lot of weapons, a lot of 
guys in that run, rushing attack that can uh, can prove dangerous on the fields on Saturdays. Yes, indeed. And Liberty showcased that quite a bit, especially with what they schemed up offensively against New Mexico State. Part of that is Caden Salter at quarterback. How impressed were you with the way he handled the success of week one and coming into week two and being able to have an above average game, both as a distributor of the football, throwing it and a distributor and decision maker running it? Yeah, I think that was the biggest takeaway is, you know, week one, he did it with his legs, 19 rushing attempts. Uh, around 80 yards, I think it was, uh, in week one and that win. And, th- and then week two, uh, New Mexico State decided to take that away from him. And, and the perimeter runs, the option runs out on the perimeter, uh, as well as Coach Chadwell alluded to in his post-game press conference. New Mexico State wanted to force Liberty to, to run the ball up the middle, and that's what they did. And, and you know, again, like Caden uh, did in week one, he took what the defense gave it, gave him and, and made a lot of uh, progress, a lot of growth, I think, from week one to week two and, and his ability to attack the defense through the air and stay in the pocket. I mean, there was a couple times, one in particular, that 60-plus yard uh, pass in the air to uh, uh, C.J. Daniels. He hit him right, uh, dropped the ball right in, right in his bread basket uh, in stride and and uh, in decent coverage, too. I mean, it's not like he was wide open downfield. He had a guy right behind him. But, um, uh, you know, that, that was a play that, you know, was a third and I believe six or seven and and Salter had tons of time. I mean, uh, he could have, you know, made a sandwich back there in the pocket. But, um, you know, I think in the past, and even with, you know, Malik Willis, when he was Liberty's quarterback, that would have been, a, you know, a, a typical time that, that they would break free and run and try to scramble and pick up the first first down on their, their uh, with their feet. But Caden uh, sat back there, took his time, waited for the right time to deliver that ball, and, and it was a beauty of a ball. And that, that's something that – you know, I think the coaching staff saw throughout the summer and into training camp and that we know is that Caden's uh, ceiling is so high in this Liberty offense with his ability to affect the game with his legs, but also uh, being able to make those throws like that. John Manson, a CFRed.com with us in the fast lane. Now, John Liberty heads on the road to Buffalo. Oh, and to Buffalo, I might add, who just lost to Fordham this past weekend at home. How imperative is it for Jamie Chabwell and let's be honest, Caden Salter, who has been praised as growing and more maturing at quarterback to keep the rest of this locker room locked in on a team that, I mean, look, they theoretically should win this game fairly handily, but we've seen Liberty before in these spots with Louisiana Monroe a couple of years ago coming to mind where they're a big favorite, they go on the road and all of a sudden they lay an egg. How crucial is it to stay focused to avoid that? Well, yeah, sure. It's definitely uh, very important, and and you know, I think Buffalo uh, being zero and two might be a little bit of a uh, uh, you know, Liberty fans may have a false sense of security. I mean, it's a Buffalo team that won seven games last year, made it to a bowl game, won a bowl game, and uh, they're picked to finish in the the top half of the MAC as well. A, a team that's supposed to be better than than what Liberty saw in Week One against Bowling Green. We saw how that game went, and it's on the road, first time playing on the road, and and yeah, they, they lost to to Fordham. I think uh, Buffalo is still trying to figure out uh, you know who they are uh, on defense as well, just like Liberty, and have given up a lot of points. But uh, you know, it's a different type of team than than what Liberty has seen the first two weeks. They they got a quarterback that likes to spread the ball around and and can really attack the defense on the perimeter and and stretch the field with his arm and uh, maybe we've had a little bit of a struggle at times on the ground 
which you know the first two opponents Liberty played this year, it was kind of the opposite was true. The uh, the run game was their strength, and the pass game was a little bit of a question mark or a weakness. And uh, you know, so I think it's a team. You know, and I think the line's indicative of it that Buffalo may have lost to Fordham, but that that was just an upset that happens any given Saturday. And you know, Liberty is only uh, favored by three and a half. It opened at three uh, yesterday, so uh, I, I think it's the toughest game Liberty's played yet. And and uh, you know, hopefully the players and the coaching staff uh, treat. I know the coaching staff will. Hopefully the players treat it as such and are able to uh, stay focused on the task at hand. John Manson, SeeOfRed.com, stepping into the fast lane. John, thank you for your time. Enjoyed seeing you in the press box this week, and uh, we'll see you again in another couple of weeks when Liberty returns home in early October. But in the meantime, we will still follow your work at SeeOfRed.com. And that'll be on a weeknight. You're going to be able to come over there uh, after uh, the show, weeknights in October? After the fast lane, bussing over there to LU for Thursday night football. Fingers crossed they don't move a Jefferson Forest High School football game presented by TrostLaw.com up to a Thursday because of weather, at which point I might have uh, some tough decisions to make. Sounds good. Talk to you soon, Ed. Indeed. John Manson with us here in the fast lane. When we return... Part two of covering the Commonwealth will go a smidge over, but not too much. So we got to get to it now here in the fast lane.